Well, friends, I am glad to invite into the podcast Dr. Nijay Gupta, who teaches New Testament at Northern Seminary. Nijay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. So great to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you in here. I've, I've heard about you for a while and, and noticed you kind of in some scholarly circles. But then uh, this new book that's come out with Zondervan, 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament theology for real life. Well, how can you complain about something like that? What, what, else, <laughs> what else do you need? Something for real life. Tell, tell me about this book. What led you to put this together? Yeah, you know, I, um, as part of my job, I spent a lot of time in the Bible. I've written commentaries on Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, Galatians, Philippians. I'm working on one now in the pastoral epistles. And um, I sense a, a need in the church for understanding that the Bible is written for regular people and it's written for real life. I think there's this popular impression that the Bible is uh, deep theological stuff for this ether, you know, <laughs> kind of, if you have time to study quote unquote theology, then you could read the Bible and talk about superlapsarianism, <laughs> or you could talk about, you know, premillennial eschatology. Right. And I, as I've spent time studying, for example, Paul, I've just been struck by how much Paul engages with the stuff of just everyday life friendship, death, work, yeah. conflict, um, grief, suffering. I mean, he's talking about stuff that fills up our all of our minutes from when we leave church to when we go to church again. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so what I really wanted to hit home was we have these terms we use that distance that from real life, like righteousness, um, or fellowship, which are kind of Christianese. Right, right. And the New Testament writers, by and large, were not using uh, new terms to talk about their faith. They, they were using terms that were common to everyday speech. And I wanted to capture that in this book. It's so interesting. Like in, in part of your job, probably as a New Testament scholar, is working through languages and thinking about what words mean and where they come from and their context. And like you said, like it's not so easy just to say this this word is that. You know, it's like it's just like it's it certainly we are thankful we have dictionaries and, and often like um there's mistakes that people can make. I teach preaching where it's like, I looked up yeah. this word and this is what it means. Oh, is is that it? You know, like, yeah. like there's a lot more to it. And like all, all of these words are kind of centering and focused um, throughout the New, New Testament. You have, and you focus this in an interesting way, like by covering almost every book in the Bible, like emphasizing that that word, like one particular word in one book. So I think that's interesting that it walks through the New Testament as well. Yeah, that was the goal. I could have done it as just kind of generic word studies because i talk about these 15 words i want to ground it in at least one key text for example forgiveness in luke or life in john um, i want to do that because i want to give readers a flavor for how that term is meaningful to a person not just sort of quote unquote the bible um, but this one person luke or this one person paul or this one person peter to give a, a kind of extended sense that that this person has something they really want to say about that word. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because there are often 
intense scholarly debates about all of these words. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And so I, I think it's interesting that you're able to kind of cut through that and present them in their common uh, vernacular. And so I think it's helpful to understand the context of several. Well, I'd like to just go through a few of them. Now, sure. I will say a little critique at the start. Mm -hmm. Second, third, John and Jude left them out. Come on. Yeah, I, I had trouble fitting everything in. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't give uh i don't give romans and galatians either of them much time they do get time romans doesn't yeah. get much time um so i had to, i had to make some sacrifices my uh I, there's an ancient writer who famously said uh, a big book is a big evil or a big problem oh, interesting. and his point was nobody wants to read a long book <laughs> yeah. so one of my priorities was i want to keep this short readable i want to keep chapters at about 15 pages yeah, sure. And, you know, trying to squeeze in Jude uh, was second Peter. That, that It was too challenging to accomplish. Yeah, that yeah, sounds good. Well, I um I just did a, uh, and some people who follow my my podcast know like uh, a six-week series on Jude. And so that's part of why I- um, No, that's a small great. group. But, you know, I got to make a sacrifice in that one little page. I understand <laughs> why people can do it. So, um, oh yeah, I didn't even mention second Peter, but there you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with um, the very first word you highlight is often a word that's uh, misunderstood, righteousness. And you highlight that through um, Matthew as well. And I, I obviously mm -hmm. won't have time to go into all of the words that you depict, but I want, I want to pick just a few that I think are significant and would be helpful because some people really have a confusion about right righteousness being connected with sometimes it's translated justice and you you talk through those things but i'd love to hear what, why this word's so significant yeah um i've always struggled with the english word righteousness because it sounds like a religious term okay right um and it's not actually a religious term it would be the normal term that you and i would use for someone that is good and honest Okay. Right. So if you're looking for a lawyer or if you're looking for a financial planner, you know, you would want to find someone that you trust. And so you're going to ask around, is this person, is this person good and honest? Is this person yeah. a fair minded person? And that's the word righteousness. That's the word righteous. Now, righteousness has to do with, uh, you know, correctness or rightness according to a person or standard. So it's going to look a specific way we're talking about the covenant with God. But what I found really interesting about this is we think about righteousness as kind of an objective standard. Yeah. And really, um, it's a relational term, hmm. right? So we think of righteousness maybe sometimes as this objective thing. But often in the Old Testament, God is his righteousness is revealed in his mercy to Israel in mercy because he wants to do right by the promises he's made to his own people. What's interesting about that is righteousness isn't blind justice. We have this kind of assumption of blind justice. Right, right. And I like the idea of unbiased in a negative way, unbiased justice. But God's righteousness is biased in our favor. And I mm -hmm. think that's kind of cool. So when we talk about um, Jesus fulfilling all righteousness, right, and Matthew, what are we talking about? Sure. We're talking about the covenant. We're talking about God making right his desire to reconcile with his people and we're probably also talking about holding his people to a spirit-filled jesus following new standard of goodness and truth 
So it is a pretty big word. It is one of these load-bearing words in the Bible. And Matthew gives us a helpful glimpse of the many the many sides of that prism. And he, he hits that, particularly Matthew does, in the sense of the fulfillment of the covenant. Is that the idea? I think everything. So, you know, let's say you're watching a movie in it and it has five different subplots that have that have problems. Right. And let's say it's one thing happens at the end that brings together all five that resolves all five. I think this idea of Jesus fulfilling all righteousness ties together, brings together all the problems of, you know, alienation from God, uh, alienation from each other. Um, our, our lack of ability and awareness to know how to do how to do what is right. I think it all comes together mm. in that statement of righteousness. How do you sense like the maybe just in what you hear in popular church culture, the word righteousness misused? Is it maybe it's not? Yeah. Maybe. Um, you know, I think one of them is um. You know, some of the songs we sing about Christ as our righteousness, sometimes it can be used as a cover to say we don't have to change because Jesus right. is our righteousness. And I'm Wesleyan Holiness, uh, and you yeah. are in that camp, and we know better than that. <laughs> right. We, we know that God expects us to become righteous, right? Um, but I, I, I hear that sometimes in kind of pop liturgy, this idea that Christ is our righteousness, so we don't have to be righteous. Right. And that's not at all what Matthew teaches. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. But and, and then that sense of righteousness is piety. In fact, some scholars interpret the word righteous as piety in Matthew. Hmm. Um, piety meaning very re religious. And, and that I don't think that's exactly what it means. Um, sometimes Matthew uses acts of righteousness, but if we mean, if we say you need to be righteous and we mean doing specific religious activities, I think that's a misunderstanding of the word righteous. Righteous means that we're going to, I think of alignment, right? If the alignment on your car is off, it's very, so it's really righteousness, alignment with God, alignment with the ways of the kingdom. Paul talks about this as walking in the truth in step with the truth of the gospel. I think that Matthew would talk about that as righteousness. Interesting. So like the, the categories, you might know where I'd be going with this, like of imputed and parted righteousness. Um, <laughs> like, obviously, this is not something that is from the New Testament, exactly like that, that, that word, and certainly the concept, um, but like of what, maybe what people imply now. But there, there is some challenges that come with this, like the, there is like a real work that happens relationally to us to change our very being. I think so. And that's where the spirit comes in um, as a transforming agent. I think of Gordon Fee and his yeah. uh, excellent work on God's empowering presence. You know, Paul in, in, in Romans 6 through 8, you know, basically says, how could the spirit not change us? Right. How can we continue in sin mm -hmm. when the spirit has changed us? Now, there's forgiveness and there is second, third chances. But, um, you know, one of the things I talk a little about in the book is the reality of judgment that we're going to be held accountable for our, our actions. Yeah. And um, I think that gives us some responsibility for cooperating with God in the work of being people of righteousness. And that doesn't eliminate the what Jesus did, like Jesus, right. the Jesus's role in this process. Okay. 
I could talk about righteousness probably the whole time. So I'm going to move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm so, it's so righteous of me to do that. No, no. Okay. Faith, faith. All right. Pistis, pistuo. Like this is the kind of this, uh, um, a word that gets misused often. And, you know, some translations will even have a footnote that says faith or faithfulness. But mm -hmm. uh, you root this one. I mean, this is the, the in Galatians and Romans. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on faith as one of these anchoring load bearing words. Yeah, sometimes I come across theologians or pastors that talk about faith as passive. Mm -hmm. And what they mean by that is God is 100% the, the change maker, right? The transformer. And I, and, I, and I agree with that. But if you listen to the Bible, if you listen to texts of early Judaism, um, then you're actually going to get a different impression of this Greek word pistis. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is um, critiquing the Pharisees, and he says, you've neglected to do the weightier matters of the law, and he names a few things, one of them being pistis, faithfulness, or faith. So he's actually combining doing with faith. Now, mm -hmm. we, we okay. sometimes say faith is not something you do, it's something right. you believe, and that is generally speaking true. But Jesus himself, from the red letters, we can learn about this word. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, Neither circumcision matters nor uncircumcision matters. What matters is faith working through love. So that starts to mess with our categories. Right. Um, I, you know, sometimes I, I was heavily involved with Campus Crusade for Christ in college. I still like their focus on missions. But I remember reading the four spiritual laws, even being taught how to, to you know, uh, speak to people the four spiritual laws and these often give this binary of salvation is about nothing that you do it's a passive thing it's all about faith you rely you trust in god one theologian called, talks about the recumbency of faith uh this kind of relaxing or resting into god you know since the super bowl wasn't that long ago it, it's helpful to use a, a football analogy think about a receiver a wide receiver um they are receiving right so yeah. in that sense passive but they're definitely not passive right. they're definitely active because they're running for their life and they don't want to get tackled right yeah and so there's some kind of mixture there of faith as vibrant leaning in active and at the same time, recognizing that this is all the work of God, um, you know, it, it is, uh, I think we have to make sure that when we talk about faith, we're talking about it as a relational term. Yeah. Not something, you know, what I tell my students, I used to teach undergraduate, what I used to tell my students is, when you die, you're not going to go to the pearly gates and take a quiz on theology. Yeah. Right. And they're not going to have a checklist like, did you believe in the virgin birth? Did you believe in the Trinity? The beliefs matter for how they shape who we are. Mm -hmm. right when we confess the apostles creed when we confess uh scripture um it's not just cerebral it's not mental it's meant to actually um translate eugene peterson talks about metabolizing into yeah. our being and i think james chapter two is not a critique of paul but a clarification of what paul really means so James chapter two says, you know, you know, you say it's all about faith and not works, but I'm telling you, you can't have one without the other. I think right. I think James is actually clarifying what Paul really means. 
Um, and so when people say, let go and let God, or all you have to do is believe, let's say it's a big tent revival, all you got to do is believe. Um, that's not really what Paul meant. Paul no. says, Romans chapter 8, you'll be co-heirs if you suffer with him. Right. Well, sure. that doesn't sound like faith, but if faith is this robust relationship yeah. of entanglement with Christ, then we're going to live just like Christ. That's going to involve persecution, sure sufferings, all kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I see you listed as a as a resource. I've been I really enjoyed Matthew Bates' work on uh, salvation by allegiance alone, and you know, he suggests like that often allegiance the word allegiance could be used instead of faith. So it's like really helpful to think like uh, consider the outcome of your leader or remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their allegiance. And yeah, Jesus Christ yeah. has been yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, what, what do you think of that? Does that does that work with the same concept? Of, or is allegiance still too distant to have the relational overtones? No. Um, allegiance tends, to my mind, to have a kind of a political connotation. I think that makes sense sometimes. Yeah. But um, for Paul, it's a very personal thing. It's a very intimate thing. So Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live by pistis, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, it's union with Christ. It's participation in Christ. It's love. It's trust. It's allegiance. I would want maybe a variety of terms. Trust is a good term. Yeah, Loyalty, yeah. commitment. I mean, commitment may be one of my favorite terms. Interesting. For, yeah, for, it's a dual function. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Trust, yeah, tr trust can work at times too. Often, like you know, but it gets back to the challenge. Like we said earlier, sometimes there's like the theological concepts that have come come through later. And of course, we have this thing called the Protestant Reformation. You know, like yeah. you know, we're justified by faith. You know, yeah, so like, you know, trying to figure out like what what distinctions we're making there is helpful. Now, I like how you bring in other examples too, though, um, from other Greco-Roman literature too. So what did you pick up on faith? Like you quote the Iliad, um, a few other yeah. places. What is that? How does that help inform our understanding? Of yeah, the most common use of the word pistis, which we translate as faith, is um, in, the, in the wider Greco-Roman world, it's most often found in political texts to do with treaties, um, to do with um, pacts and um, negotiations between nations or armies that they will bond together, that they will show loyalty to each other. Um, so I would say, and I wrote a book called Paul in the Language of Faith, so I spent a lot of time okay. on this subject. But I, I would say... I didn't know that before this interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say... Um, the way that the New Testament writers use the language of faith uh, is very similar to how the Old Testament uses the language covenant. Okay. And that is very similar to how Greco-Roman treaties worked. So a treaty is a bond that you form with another group of people where there is goodwill and expectation or obligation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we see that with Moses. We see that with Israel. We see that with Abraham. We see that with David. We see it over and over again. We even see it with Jesus that he, you know, Gospel of John, he says, you will prove that you love me if you obey my commandments. Yeah, sure. Oh, wait a second, Jesus. What happened to faith? What happened to sola fide <laughs> here? 
Um, but I take a more holistic understanding of faith as a relational dynamic, an attachment, a connectivity yeah, between sure. us and Christ, um, where there is goodwill, there's love, there's forgiveness, but there's also expectation. And that corresponds pretty well to how the Greco-Roman world used this term. Interesting. That's really helpful. All right, I'll go get one more word in. I think maybe I'll see if I can get give more than that. But uh, coming from the Salvation Army, yeah. often people are wondering, um, what do you mean by salvation? You know, and yeah. so salvation can mean all kinds of things. Well, yeah. I'm glad I have a place to stay, or or this meal that you gave me in the middle of the disaster that was my salvation. Um, but it's a I often want people to to know the richness of that term. But I I really enjoyed. The, variety of things you had to say here and you, you subtitle it rescued reconciled and established for flourishing yeah. so again we're trying to get a bigger picture more than just transactional not that there's not a transaction but of course that but there but there's more going on with this word salvation yeah it's uh, um i start out with an illustration that i think really sets the tone for the chapter there was the story yeah. of this modern rescue where these kids had um, gotten to a boat and they wanted to go travel and they ended up shipwrecked on an island. They were there for a long time, I think over a year. They, they ran out of water, fresh water. They had to drink animal blood, bird blood. I mean, it was pretty bad. And this sailor was was going by, this merchant, and, uh, you know, traditional rescue story. He sees them, he goes, he picks them up. And normally rescue stories end there, right? Yeah, he picks sure. them up, he takes them home. But actually, this story keeps going because those kids had stolen that boat, so they were going to be put in jail. He actually gets them released, and then he actually invites them to work on his boat so he can mentor them and take care of them. And I love that as an image of the gospel because often we, on the popular level, Christianity and salvation can seem like um, sinners in the hands of an angry God just trying to be plucked out of the fire, right? Deathbed confessionals, that sort yeah. of thing. But when the Bible uses the language of salvation, it is, um, it's a kind of all-in-one, all-inclusive protection, care, um, adoption, um, looking after, and, and as I mentioned, flourishing. So let me give one example. Yeah. Um, you know, in modern, you know, uh, American church parlance, savior tends to mean someone who died for my sins, right? Yeah. But when the Bible uses the word savior, specifically the pastoral epistles, which I talk about in that chapter, it really resonated with the Roman world because uh, emperors and uh, um, warriors were often called soter, savior. And soter didn't mean they ended a fight or they rescued, but it means that they live and serve to protect their people. Mm. So when Caesar is hailed soter, or when a deity is hailed soter, it's often translated protector or guardian. Interesting. And so what if we called God not just savior, but protector and guardian? Mm. God, my guardian. There, there's a sense of persistence there that he's always looking after me. He's always taking care of me. Uh, we used to have like grandparents day at our kids' school. And then they realized some people don't have grandparents or they have, you know, messy family situations. So they switched to guardian 
Guardian's Day. Okay. Uh, and I love that because a guardian is someone that cares for somebody on a on a pers in a persistent way. Yeah. And what if we looked at God? And what if we looked at Jesus Christ who intercedes for us? What if we looked at the Holy Spirit? Not as just Savior that rescued us back then, but as guardian and caretaker and protector. Like, hmm. how would that change our prayer life? Wow. What, what, how would that change our prayer life? Like, what would, how would you pray differently? Yeah, I, I think be on the lookout for how God is going to be taking care of you moment by moment, right? Don't be afraid to take little problems. Right. We want our kids, you know, we go to our kids room at night because we want them to tell us their problems. You know what I mean? And yeah, our kids, I, I hope my kids never say to me, I didn't want to bother you. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, maybe while I'm on a podcast, I don't want them to bother me, <laughs> but um, I want them to bother me with all of their problems. Sure. And and what if what if we pray that where we thought God as guardian wants to contribute to solving all of our problems, even the little ones? Hmm. Yeah, this is like a, it's like an ongoing, regular sort of work, like a, a saving, not That's just right. like I got it, I got That's my right. salvation, I'm I'm saved, I'm done. No, yeah, and and First Thessalonians chapter one, Paul talks about the work of Jesus as the Son who rescues us from judgment, and um, a lot of translations keep that in the in the present tense versus rescued. Because he continues to yeah. rescue us. He continues to, to be, it's almost like he's stalking us. He's following us around, making sure that we're okay. It's like, I, I don't know if this is appropriate, but I, I, I can track my kids' phones. They know that, by the way. <laughs> um, and I use it all of the time because I want to make sure they're okay. You right, know? sure, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and I have the same thing with my wife, and I know she knows where I am. And she's like, okay, time to come home. Like yeah. no hiding the fact that I'm still at the office. So yeah. there you go. Okay, I think I have time for one more. And um, when it got to Revelation, section on Revelation, people might say, well, what word would you use for Revelation? What, what word is that? It's that gonna be tough. Uh, clash, war, Armageddon, <laughs> something. No, no, but I love, I love that you chose witness. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah, the Greek word for witness is martus, where we get the word martyr. Yeah. And obviously, Revelation is full of a lot of blood, and it's full of, it's even full of, the, it's not full of, but it has the term martyr. Um, but it's very interesting to me that we associate the word martyr with death. But in the first century, when the book of Revelation is written, um, it it really just means witness. Mm. Um, and it came to mean someone who dies for their faith because of the book of revelation i think because in the book of revelation these people who stand by jesus who worship the lamb that was slaughtered yeah uh are people who witness and testify and point to jesus um and we talk about evangelism as witnessing i don't think we often mean understand what that actually means hmm Witness really is testimony that we can point to someone who has changed our life. I, I, I know yeah. that, you know, with my kids and with other people in my church, they get stressed out about the idea of sharing their faith with other people, like it's proselytizing or it's unwelcome. Mm -hmm. But my wife is 
is just a natural evangelist and I'm kind of shy and she's out there talking to people all the time. She'll invite a neighbor over. She barely knows. And I'm like chopping carrots or something in the kitchen and she'll be chatting with them and she'll just point blank say, what do you think about Jesus? <laughs> like, wow. yeah, and yeah. she, she just means tell me your story. Like, and then she yeah. just so freely shares her story, but in a very non-threatening way, like she'll just, they'll just ask her about such and such. And she'd be like, you know, Jesus has been really good to me. She does it in a very personalized way. And if it's, in a, I've noticed, I live in Portland, Oregon, okay, which is, as many people know, not a lot of Christians. Um, right. And there's this impression that people hate Christianity here. They don't. They have baggage. But, it, it, but they're very okay with talking about it. If I can talk about Jesus in personal ways, yeah. about how he's changed my life. Yeah, sure. And I don't just go right into Lord, Lion, Lunatic. Like, that does not going to work with people uh -huh. here. Um, I'm not going to, you know, open up the four spiritual laws here. Um, but what, when we read the book of Revelation, testimony is about explain to others why we're covered in the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and Revelation, that's more <laughs> graphic. But I think about the man born blind in the, in the Gospel of John. You know, he's, they ask him, who is this man? He says, I don't know who he is. I don't know what he's done, but I know I was blind and now I see. And um, I think of testimony as an arrow pointing to Jesus. Yeah. And what if we told Christians, evangelism is as simple as that. Witnessing is as simple as the shape and direction and words of our life pointing to Jesus. Yeah. It's not hard sell it's not coercion it's as simple as that i just uh i do a lot of my podcast interviews on the same day and mm -hmm. so i did had an interview with james brian smith or jim smith oh yeah of course. Oh, okay you know yeah Arrow pointing to heaven oh uh, yeah you got me you're got ahead you. of me. i got there oh um, i didn't even get explained to everybody so he uh, <laughs> he did a, a biography of rich mullins Love who it. i loved and uh so Big appreciated fan. his uh his music but he told the story of of uh, Rich Mullins toward the end of his life was taking a picture and they asked him to raise his hands up in the air. And they said, no, no, lower it down. They'll, they'll be like Jesus, lower it down. And then the photographer said, you're, you look like an arrow pointing to heaven. Yeah, or arrow pointing I love to that. Heaven. I forget the exact Arrow language. pointing to heaven, I think, yeah. Um, Rich is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, I'll tell you a fun story since oh, yeah. you're a fan. Um, I grew up in Ohio and I went to college in Southern Ohio and, and Rich Mullins died during my junior year, I think. Okay. Um, and I was at that time I was in a class on rhetoric and I was asked to do by my professor to do, to analyze a piece of rhetoric and he had just died. So I reached out to his mother and I asked for his eulogy. So he had okay. three eulogies, one in Nashville where he recorded one in Wichita uh, where he lived and one in Richmond, Indiana, where he was from. And I got the one from Richmond. Um, so it was really a really special moment. Well, so what did you, what'd you find in that? Like who did, was, was it from a pastor who prepared that or? Um, I, it's been too long for me to okay. remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I think yeah. there's something about his um, literary connections and, and even his fidelity to scripture was something that's really unique. And um, his, his ability to grasp concepts, and he was so far ahead of his time. Oh my gosh! And, yeah. uh, in, in fact, that like you know, Jim Smith said to me, um, "Can you think of some?" And I was, I don't know. I grew up in the Christian subculture, like CCM. I was, 
I, I enjoyed it. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm not mad at any of that. I'm not mad at um, True Love Weights or any, like it was all there and I, I was yeah. in it. So, um, um, but he said, can you think of any musical CCM artists who you, you still sing their songs and they're still meaningful to you from 30 years ago? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, you know, DC Talks new thing really isn't touching my heart anymore. <laughs> and so, uh, so like, but yeah, it, but Rich Mullins is. And so it, it's really yeah. interesting. But what is it? It's his witness. It's yeah. like this, the fact that the arrow point to God and, and being connected. I also was struck by this, like, um, when you saying this, like when we talk about Jesus in these real personal ways, like Jesus is doing something for us. Like I have a yeah. relationship with him. Like I'm witnessing to someone. I have faith, pistis in someone. It, it implies also Jesus's enthronement, that Jesus is, it, it's not just like he, he's gone someplace else. He's still available. Like Jesus is available to us because of the ascension. So I, um, I, I think there's something about that. Like, what are we witnessing? We're lit, witnessing to a living, real being who's a part yeah. of our world. And, and part of witnessing in the book of Revelation is deciding whether you're going to be all in or not. Okay. Whatever the consequences right and and um you know the revelation um really reminds us that christianity is not an easy choice uh it, should, it shouldn't be an easy choice i think of the gospels when it talks about counting the cost yeah sure right where it's not just yeah i'll, I'll sign up for that newsletter you know i'll <laughs> why not i'll take that coupon why not it's not a leaflet we're handing out on the sidewalk um take jesus it's 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 a you know, Jesus says narrow is the road for a reason. You yeah. know, it's it's narrow. And I think Revelation plays that out. It says um, there's great beauty, great, uh, great uh, reward, great um, return. But it's, you know, it's a sacrifice. It's something that you have to commit fully. And, and the image on the throne is not just a lamb. It's a slaughtered lamb. Wow. And uh, so to accept that, you know, I, I remember um, reading a book by Jonathan Pennington, who's a New Testament scholar, and he was talking about Luther's interpretation of the Gospels. And apparently Luther had this interpretation of the Gospels that we should read it in a two-story form. Okay. First reading is gift. We receive the Gospels as gift. And second, as calling, calling to live like Jesus. So first we receive the gospel's gift, then calling, and that's changed how I take communion or or the Lord's Supper. Uh, I take it as gift, right, the broken body of Christ, but also as a calling to be like Jesus in his sacrifice. And I think Revelation does that for the witnesses. You're not just witnessing it. You're actually being invited into that, that death. Wow. I like I like how each of the words that we've highlighted here have that moment and then progress that follows it. Mm -hmm. um, and look, that last picture is one. It's like to your death, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but there still is a, is a a movement in that direction. This is a great book, and I didn't even get Thank to you. talk to you. Here I am at uh, Wesley Biblical Seminary, and I didn't even talk to you about the word holy. But anyhow. <laughs> Go check it out. He has a great chapter on holiness. So I encourage people to look at that. Nijay, one thing I always ask people is um, my title, 
the podcast is more to the story. Is there more to the story to Nijay than is typically told? Like something you don't get to talk about very much that you're you're really into? Oh yes. Um, you know, in a previous life, I was a worship leader and musician. Oh. And I'm happy to pass it on to my kids. But you'll notice a lot of musical illustrations in my work. Maybe not as much in this book, but I love music. Um, and I love. Play. I love soccer, so I almost all my books have a soccer illustration in this. Okay, <laughs> what what instrument do you play? Uh, piano and guitar. Okay, yeah, great. A, tra- a well, traditional worship leader. It's uh, right. It show me your tattoo on your forearm too. <laughs> nice. No, I'm from Ohio. We didn't do tattoos in the oh, roaring okay. '80s and '90s. Yeah, gotcha. Well, thanks for your time, DJ. We appreciate it. Appreciate this book. I encourage people to go out and get it from Zondervan Academic. Um, it'd be a great text for a undergraduate or, or like entry level seminary course in biblical theology or New Testament just walks through a lot of the basic concepts. So I really and and does it in a profound way, like in based on really solid research. So I don't want to make it seem too simplistic, but it you had in mind you, you're not this is an academic book. Exactly. Even though it's by Zondra, right. You're, you're kind of that's your audience. Right. You're thinking of lay people. I, I think of three contexts. One is the undergraduate classroom. Uh, one is pastors for a preaching series, and one is a church a church group study. So I I, I kind of wrote it with those three audiences in mind. Great. I didn't want you to think I was demeaning you by saying it wasn't. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's well written. So thanks for your time. God My bless pleasure. you.